you know, when I was a kid, I can remember when we were getting close because we'd be driving along the, the highway, and it was only a two-lane highway at the time, and there would be the big signs, you know, Valor Jeans uh, up ahead, and it would say date shakes, and it would announce, you know, all kinds of date products that they were selling. And I, I could remember seeing those big, big yellow signs. <laughs> so I knew we were always getting close. But you couldn't miss them. I mean, it was just in the desert. Welcome to Local Fairy Tales. I'm your narrator, Nora Vetter. What is a local fairy tale? It's the story of a fair, F-A-R-E, that can only be found in certain regions, states, cities, and so on. Each tale will be told with the help of the voices that know it well. Historians, creators, servers, festival organizers, superfans, etc. Today's featured fair is the Date Shake. You just heard Russell Schubert recall visiting the Valerie Jean date shop, which was named after his mother and owned and operated by his enterprising and inventive grandfather, Russell Nickel. Now, let's meet the rest of our date shake tale tellers. I'm Maureen Boren, member, volunteer, and board member at the Coachella Valley History Museum. Travis Brown, general manager at China Ranch State Farm. Bob Herrick, vice president, sales and marketing for Woodsboro Farm slash Oasis State Gardens. Charles Phoenix, pop culture historian, humorist, and otherwise enthusiast, celebrating classic and kitschy American life and style. Heather Rahman, one of the owners of Shield State Gardens. I'm Russell Schubert, and you're listening. And you're listening to listening to the local the local fairy tale of local fairy tale of the. Date shake. Fairy tale of dates and the date shake. Of the Valerie Jean date shop date shake. The date shake. I'm Charles Phoenix, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of uh, the date shake. I love date shakes. I love date shakes. You've got to have one when you go to the desert. I think it really does qualify as like a regional <laughs> food at this point, which I kind of love because the, the milkshake part is, you know, the fast food culture, which also owes a lot of uh, history to Southern California. <laughs> it's almost like the two combined. <laughs> it could only happen in a place like Southern California. <laughs> oh my gosh. When we first came to the valley in the 70s, it was a very hot time. I came in July. <laughs> and people had already told us the coolest thing you want to have is a date shake, but don't plan on having lunch afterwards because it's very rich, very filling, and it really satiates your appetite. And they were right. It is something that's very different from any other ice cream mixture or shake that you could have. First time trying a date shake, I want to say it was probably down in um, Indio or the Coachella Valley somewhere. You know, I was a kid, so anything, you put ice cream in anything, and yeah, of, of course, <laughs> I thought they were great. So in all honesty, I had not tried a date shake until we acquired Shields Date Gardens, and my first take was 
wow, this is sweet. <laughs> At the time, I was like all women, um, and after childbearing years, I was trying to watch my sugar intake. So I had to stay strong and, and not have too many because uh, the caloric intake was a little more than what I needed, but it was delicious. Definitely delicious. <laughs> delicious. I used to love them when we were kids. I used to drink them all the time. Well, I remember the first time I tried it, and that's when uh, I actually started uh, working at Oasis State Gardens. Quite frankly, I was shocked uh, at the flavor profile and the sweetness uh, of the date shake, which was very unique. I do remember the first time I ever had a date shake. I mean, it was, well, before I could even remember, because um, growing up in Southern California, we would go out to the desert, to Palm Springs or Indio, and, you know, we always went to Shields Date Garden and got a date shake. But as a child, um, I remember thinking they were really, really sweet. It's a little nutty flavor and kind of caramel flavor. And you'll get little bits of the date in the ice cream. It's, it's really thick. And that's why I say it's very, very filling. Dates are nature's caramel. Uh, it's very sweet and primarily has a more of a caramel flavoring but I don't know hardly anybody that has not been completely astonished at the delicious flavor of a date shake. I'm still a fan, and I've, I've literally made like tens of thousands of them with my bare hands. Okay, here we go. This is a date shake. Vanilla-ish ice cream. Yeah, well, actually not ishy. It is vanilla ice cream. Prior to our acquiring Shields, they had switched over to a high-quality ice cream, which is really the key. With some sort of date puree, if you're lucky. If you're unlucky, you'll get one with the date crystals. And we also add our date paste, which is our date paste is our date crystals. Probably a reference thing, too. I'm sure other people prefer the chunks, but I, you know, I think the paste works really well. And then date paste to give it the flavor profiles. We mix them still the original way that Mr. Shields mixed them in the old-fashioned blender. You have to hand spin it. <laughs> Some people are using soft serve and just, yeah, no. They're doing themselves and the date shake a great injustice. I think you need to make it the old-fashioned way. Date puree mixed with vanilla ice cream. That is a date shake. We have variations. You can add like a topping or you could add banana and uh Blend that in. I think the original one is, is pretty good on its own, though, honestly. I think sometimes you start adding too much to it, and it takes away from the date shake. And then you can, if you so choose, uh, pick a particular flavor, such as blackberry. Uh, we can add a little bit of syrup to that to give it that particular flavor. But most people will order just the original date shake itself, which is self-serve ice cream and they paste and is made basically from scratch right there when you order it. It's indescribable. You just have to have one. It's, it's the local flavor. You know, I mean, you have not done Palm Springs or the Coachella Valley until you've had a date shake. That's it. And people love them. I mean, they just, they just like slurp on them, you know, until they are done and then go get another one. They love them so much. I mean, they are delicious. They really are. I'm Maureen Boren of the Coachella Valley History Museum, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of dates and the date shape. Since we're talking about fairy tales, the tale of how the date got to America 
in California. It is the stuff of the Arabian Nights, I'm telling you. There are so many stories that go along with so many explorers, and it's just like a movie. I mean, it's just like a film. There were people in the United States Department of Agriculture very early, turn of the century, who of course were looking at populating the West. So the idea is if you could find crops that could be grown in our vast deserts in California, Arizona, so forth, especially in California, Southern California, our Mojave Desert and, and all of this area, then people will be able to come and establish themselves. So the Department of Agriculture was highly interested in finding a, a sustainable crop that was marketable that could be grown in our valley. And of course, they knew about date palms. They were instrumental in developing uh, trips for their scientists to go to the Middle East. And one of the key people that was a physiologist and a botanist for the Department of Agriculture was a Dr. Walter Swingle. And in 1904, Dr. Swingle was sent to Morocco. One of his tasks was to find out what was going on in the oases, what was going on with this rampant disease that they had heard about. The U.S. Department of Agriculture had found that in the country of Morocco, there was a soil-borne disease called the Bayou disease and had wiped out just about uh, all of their plants and trees. It was catastrophic because these countries, Morocco, Egypt, all of them, they really depended upon the date palm. So Dr. Swingle went along with his credentials from the United States Department of Agriculture, and he made contact with a Sharif who was considered the religious head of a very particular oasis, New Bendinib, in Morocco. And this oasis had a very fine product. It had the medjool, which is considered the queen of all of the dates because it is large, fleshy, sweet. It's got a small pit. All of the dates are great, but this one is the one that's highly sought after and it's so very marketable. Well, we did not have medjols. Uh, we didn't have anything, <laughs> but we did not have medjols, most certainly. And he had a conversation with this Sharif and he informed him that his products, which were being sent all over Europe, were receiving very high prices, and yet he was selling them very cheaply. And he did not realize the quality and what money was being brought by these very special fruits in other parts of the world. So, oh, Sharif was very happy about that. And he agreed to let Dr. Swingle go into the oasis and they searched for quite a while to try and see if there was any area that had a non-diseased area of palms. Now, in order to propagate the palm, you can propagate it from a seed, which had been attempted by several individuals, but you get these tiny little dates that are just really not worth the effort. So if you want to get a really good date, you take what grows off the base of the we call them the babies. You want to cut a clone off of the parent tree. Um, they, they put out these little baby, some people call them suckers, but they're little offshoot trees. And if you cut the offshoot from the parent, it will be a genetic clone of the parent. And so you can keep transplanting that way. So if you want more medjool date trees, you have to cut off a medjool offshoot and transplant that. 
if you plant a medjool seed, it's not going to be a medjool. It's going to be something else. <laughs> the shoots are very carefully cut off of the base of the tree, wrapped, and then they can be transported and replanted. And those are the ones that will give you the marketable date, the best fruit. So Dr. Swingle was looking for disease-free shoots, and he happened to find 11. That's all he could find. Well, the Sharif allowed him to take them back. Now, when I say take them back, you have to understand, this man in the early 1900s did not speak the language. He had other people with him to help him. But it was a long journey from where he was in Morocco to the coastline to load them up on ships that would bring them to the United States. That was just the beginning of the story. And as they were loaded, they went on camelback out to the coast. Now, these were highly prized items. They were worth a lot of money. So he had to have guards go along with him. And I don't know how he negotiated that. We have his journals, as well as the journals of several other of these explorers. They have hair-raising tales <laughs> what they went through to fend off the thieves and, and, and all of this and to keep the darn things alive while they went by camelback over to the coast. Then they had to have people on the ship who were willing to keep these things damp, covered up and alive. And then when they came to the United States, the Department of Agriculture said, we wanna make absolutely sure you're not bringing a disease product in here. They have to be quarantined for two years in a state that doesn't have any date palms whatsoever. Well, some people have been growing a few date palms from seeds, so they couldn't come directly to California. So what he did was he went to Nevada. He went right alongside the Colorado River, and he negotiated with a Native American couple who lived in a campment right by the Colorado. He planted those 11. I'm not even sure all 11 survived the journey, but he had what he had. And he planted them and he negotiated with them, pay them to take care of these offshoots for two years, which they did. <laughs> it's amazing. They kept them alive and they found that they were disease free. So then they shipped them over and they came directly to Indio. They will actually produce fruit in about five years, but their best fruit is a good 10 years. And so it, it's an investment. And from that point, in 1944, Dr. Swingle distributed them to many of the growers in the area so they could start propagating, which was the whole idea. So from that point, some of those shoots or uh, plants were transported to Oasis State Gardens, and that's how it really got started as far as planting into uh, acreage and from that point, it's grown into millions and millions and millions of harvested pounds every year. So this story is told in our Date Museum, and we have artifacts from these ventures into the Middle East and lots of photographs. Oh my gosh, what these men went through in order to get this started was absolutely amazing. I'm Russell Schubert, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the Valerie Jean Date Shop Date Shake. 
Yes, I, I can't recall the, the first time I had it, but I remember visiting my grandfather's date shop, and that was a, a big item that he had, and he sold it uh, quite a bit. And as kids, we all went in and, and drank them all the time, and I just loved them. And then later, he sold it as a date butter, and we got them at our home in Flagstaff, so I could make them at home. Uh, just any time I wanted. And Valerie Jean's was a little local stand that was run by a family. It was approximately on Highway 86 and 66. So it's in the middle of almost nowhere. <laughs> you know, they're right outside of Palm Springs. And people just used to go there and buy dates and get date shakes and use that as a little oasis place. You know, there wasn't much out there at the time. And... The family who had it, they also had had found other ways to market the dates to locals. And, you know, there wasn't a lot going on in the 70s in this part of the valley. So, you know, experimenting with things and trying to get people to come out. So that's where I had my first date shake. I mean, I always remember him having the date shake, and that's back into the uh, 50s. That's what we believe. Uh, you know, a lot of people say that they had date shapes early, but everything I've been able to find in our archives, and I, I won't say that it's, you know, 100%, but it really appears that the earliest record we have of a date shape came from Valerie Jean. The Nichols were one of the founding families of the uh, Los Angeles area. And uh, I, I don't know how he got started in it, but he built the date shop by hand probably in the early 1920s. And he built it out of railroad ties that he'd salvaged from a local uh, railroad line and just built it up from there. After he, start, after he built the initial date shop, he built a house which joined the date shop and lived there with my grandmother, and then they had my mom, and they all lived there for years. Before we had the big agribusiness that was dealing with, with lots and lots of date gardens, we had many, many families who had family operations. And one way to move their dates was to have a place where people could buy them. And of course, the automobile was critical. People were, were coming out, once we had decent roads, people were coming out and exploring this very unusual desert. They have been coming to Palm Springs for a long, long time, but pulling them farther east, there needed to be some ways for people to explore. So we had little mom and pop date stands all the way from Thermal, Mecca, all the way almost into Palm Springs, not quite, Rancho Mirage. And if you know the layout of our valley, one city just goes right into the other. So we've got Mecca, Coachella, Indio, La Quinta, Indian Wells, Palm Desert, Rancho Mirage, Cathedral City, Palm Springs. And it was not unusual to see a little stand even though the date grows would be far farther away, at least they could market them. The front served as, oh, just a, as the shop where you could come in. There was some counters, and you could walk around and pick things off of shelves. 
and then they had a counter with uh, items displayed. And there'd always be somebody behind the counter where you could pick things off the shelves or you could order things specifically. And, and if it was something that they didn't have readily made, then they could go in the back and make it up because everything was made fresh there in the shop. And I remember as a child, I was just fascinated by the date shop and they had a, a like a processing plant in the back and I was always back there. And I was always getting in trouble for playing with all the equipment and making boxes. That was my favorite thing to do was put <laughs> the boxes were laid flat and I used to go back there and fold boxes <laughs> whether they needed them or not. And in our museum, we have kept many of the packages of these small little date stands, and we have the names of them and the signage and everything, so people could see what a big deal it was. I mean, that, that was the way they marketed, you know, the dates. I mean, they didn't have air conditioning back then, and at that time, they didn't make the date shakes with any ice cream or anything, so to make them cold, he would chill the butter that he used, and uh, that was his secret recipe that he came up with. And then he would also, uh, I don't know if he froze the milk or just chilled it to the, almost the point of freezing, but then he would put the milk and butter together in a blender, blend it up, and serve it as a date shake. Uh, they called it ice milk back then because, you know, there was no such thing as an ice cream delivery service. But uh, yes, before after we purchased it, they had already made that transition, Mrs. Shields had, in finding that perfect vanilla ice cream. Shields Date Garden, they've been in business in Indio since 1926. They are definitely the most famous, most iconic place to have a date shake and to celebrate the date itself. Mr. Shields, when he acquired Shields Date Gardens, it was actually over a cup of coffee with a friend of his. And Mr. Shields was in the furniture business. Best, his wife, was a teacher. And, you know, you have to remember, this is 1924, so it's, uh, things are very barren here. This is a desert, and you're out in the middle of nowhere. And so if you can just imagine two men having a cup of coffee, both saying one didn't like what he was doing, and the other one said, and I'm not any good at what I'm doing, and they switched pink slips over a cup of coffee and said, since you have a degree from the Colorado School of Engineering and Mining, why don't you try dates? And I would love to run a furniture store. But Shields is still a very visible one. And it's in Indio, run by a wonderful family. And they have a wonderful cafe and you can get your date shake. And it looks like, it looks like an old ice cream parlor inside. You know, they retained that. The most important thing, and one of the things that we're very proud of, is our date shake counter. And our date shake counter has the original stools. It's the original counter that people from all walks of the world have stopped by and sat at that booth and ordered a date shake and probably sat there and just, you know, if Mr. Shields or Mrs. Shields had time, they just sat and talked. But we had a lot of the, uh, the Rat Pack from Los Angeles. They used to come to Indio to try to get away from it all. They would stop by. Hugh Hauser, all sorts of different, you know, the whole Hollywood scene. They've all come and had their picture taken at the original Date Shake sitting on those stools. It's really fun to see that when people lock in, one of the first things they want to do is get their picture taken in front of that counter. 
So it has the original linoleum, aqua linoleum platform. It's in a bird's eye blue. It's just very retro. <laughs> and the entrance is actually the very first Coachella Valley Water District building, which Mr. Shields acquired. Then the two end caps that are attached to that round building were actually two World War II training barracks for General Patton's hospital barracks that they had out in the, in the Mojave Desert. And so Mr. Shields knew that those were no longer going to be needed. And so he actually had them brought in and they brought them in on humongous logs and oxen were actually held responsible for actually pulling them out of the desert onto the road where they could safely bring them then by truck. So it was quite the feat to get these two humongous buildings intact that they brought in, including the windows, our original. And so it's beautiful to feel as though when you're in the main storefront of Shields, you're looking out windows that people who were training to go to Africa perhaps were looking out of themselves. So there's some real history to the building. A uh, little story. He was selling date shakes in the early 1940s. General Patton, uh, when he was getting his troops ready for the invasion of North Africa, he had them training down by the Salton Sea, and he became friends. My grandfather became friends with General Patton, and a lot of uh, General Patton's troops used to stop by the date shop to uh, purchase date shakes because they loved them. And uh, it was about the only cold and refreshing thing they could get in the desert at that time. Oasis Dates is farther out in Mecca. If people are not familiar with where Oasis State Garden property is, at one time, going way back before the 86 Expressway, you're really talking about Highway 111, which was a direct route south. So people would annually stop. Uh, at, a, at the facility or at the cafe, and it would be part of their stop. We also have uh, products in there. The different varieties were available to be purchased. There was a film there, a story about the history of dates. So there was a reason for people to stop in to the gift shop in the cafe. Once the 86 Expressway was developed, it did take traffic away, but there are those people that make it a point to particularly uh, stop in. Once they've had that shake and they compare it to other ones, they always come back <laughs> to our date shake. I'll put it that way. All of these were family owned. Oasis State Gardens is a subsidiary of Woodsboro Farms as of 2014. The Laughlins were some of the early pioneers in developing the, the dates. Oasis Date Gardens, quite frankly, is over a century old. Uh, it was uh, settled by a gentleman by the name of Ben Laughlin Sr. in 1912. He immediately started planting seeds at that time, but he started to realize that uh, that was not the correct way uh, to start to plant acreage. What Mr. Laughlin did was plant 14 different varieties on the Oasis State Gardens property. And as popularity grew, it became evident that the Medjool date was, quite frankly, uh, the largest and sweetest of all the dates. And so it became the most marketable variety. 
and from that point, and I don't know exactly whether it was 10 years after he planted or how many years afterwards, but most of the property was converted to medjools. However, the original trees that were of other varieties are still on the property, but they just were not expanded as far as additional plantings. There's about 100 or were about 100, 100 original trees planted in 1920, and that was actually my father's great aunt who had lived here and, and planted those from like a mail order catalog. So we did have family here who uh, planted the original <laughs> date, date grove at China Ranch. But that thing grew wild for about 50 years untended. So it wasn't really until late 70s that my father had moved here, early 80s, started, started to uh, clean that date grove up and turn it into, you know, a farmable orchard basically so interesting fact about dates anytime you plant a seed it's going to be a hybrid variety it's going to be a cross between whatever the female was that are generally like a, the females are tracked and those are known varieties and then the males are always random so anytime you are planting a seed that's going to be a cross pollination you're, you're getting a new heirloom variety basically a hybrid and some of them are good some are bad it just kind of depends if, if you get some good varieties or not. So I, I would say about half of them in there were, were really good varieties. Other ones, not so great, but we keep them because the trees are pretty. And you've got about a 50-50 chance of it being a male or a female tree when you plant from seed. It is a very interesting thing that these trees have male and female, like, like most fruit trees, fruit, fruit palms. One male can produce enough pollen for 49 females. So we say that in a date garden, we have a harem. Every male date palm has his own harem, which he pollinates. He's responsible for that. It's very important that he has a lot of pollen. Shields Date Garden, they have a film there they've been playing for decades, at least 65 years, called The Romance and Sex Life of a Date. And they love to show the sex life of a date in a film. And it really talks about the pollinating, of course, the male and the female. But there's billboards on the highway. Come and see the sex life of a date. You know, come to Shields. <laughs> and it's a film that is just continuously running on a loop and it tells you how they pollinate dates and just, you know, how it all goes. And so it's kind of like out there, if there were billboards that said, you know, see and hear the romance and sex life of a date, that was pretty racy. That was pretty darn racy in the day. You know, you have to really give this man a lot of credit because to use the word sex life back in the 60s was still just a little premature to what we're used to today. And this is right around the time Elvis started doing his fun dance and the Beatles were doing their fun concerts. And you remember seeing signs of moms covering their children's eyes because they were on stage and maybe verbalizing things that they had never heard before, you know? And so, I thought Mr. Shields, he must have liked the Beatles, you know, he must have liked Elvis. I like to think so because he was just as brave as they were in starting something new and wonderful. And so the sex life of the date really is, though, what it is. You have female trees and male trees. 
And without those two, obviously you will not have a crop. The male tree has the pollen for which we actually collect and we dry and then we go and we hand pollinate the trees in order to ensure a crop. So there is something behind this movie that is actually talks about the propagation of dates and the horticulture behind them. He came up with the film, which was actually first started as a slideshow, just so as that people would have a true understanding of what it was that he was doing when maybe he just simply didn't have time to sit and talk all the time. And he just wanted so dearly to educate people, but he knew he would never get anything done during the day if he just spent all day talking with individuals, which he loved doing, but it, it just wasn't feasible. So uh, that's where the movie came from, the movie idea. He was just trying to spread his knowledge. But we love it. It's hysterical. And it's still happening. The, the tradition continues. It's no longer uh, a, like a movie on a film loop. It's, you know, then it was, it was video for a while, and now I'm sure it's totally digital. We turned it into an actual movie when we acquired it in 2000 from a slideshow. So realistically, the movie still has the original slides in it and Mr. Shield's voice. However, it has a few clips on the way things are done now compared to when he first started. So people could have a true educational experience. But The Romance and Sex Life of a Date is a film that you have to see at Shield's Date Garden in Indio. Each little mom and pop date stand had their own little flavors. Some of them had kind of a Spanish flair, you know, with the tile tops and everything. Others played up the Arabian theme. Most of those are pretty much gone. Yeah, and I was excited when I found out that they'd made Valerie Jean Date Shop a historical site. I, I believe it's a California historical site. It was it was a fun operation. We enjoyed visiting. My uh, uh, grandfather was a, a fantastic man, and uh, we just enjoyed it, it as children. I'm Heather Rahman from Shields Date Gardens, and you're listening to the local fairy tale of the date shake. I think that people pretty much know that, uh, you know, when they come here, that's one of the reasons that they are going to uh, enjoy. That's one of the things they're going to enjoy. And it's, it's uh, a predisposed thing in their mind. I'm going to Shields to have a date shake and the rest will just follow. <laughs> well, you know, one of the most exciting things about the date shake besides the delicious flavor of it is, you know, everyone loves milkshakes. So then when you get a specialty flavor that's really generally only available in a certain region, I mean, people look forward to having a date shake. It's a destination. Having a date shake is a moment. Somebody came to visit China Ranch Date Farm. They they could expect to <laughs> go down a windy canyon road for about two miles, which I think the drive down is part of the fun, really, because at that point you don't know where you're going. You're wondering maybe if, if you're going the wrong way. There's no cell service, so you kind of are trusting a map or directions somebody may have told you. <laughs> and then you get down here and it opens up into this lush green uh, oasis. And it's pretty magical once you get down here. Hadley's is another very famous place to have a date shake. Hadley's is right near where those giant dinosaurs are on the 10. 
um, between, you know, LA and Palm Springs out in Cabazon. That's a great moment to have on a road trip is to stop at Hadley's, to stop at the um, dinosaurs. Date shakes and dinosaurs go together. They're a match made in, I mean, dates have got to be prehistoric, so. In our date museum, we start out with the history of the date on the planet. And this is probably the oldest cultivated fruit plant that we know of. It was known to the Sumerians in 3000 BC. There's evidences of it mentioned. There, it was mentioned in the Bible, the Torah, uh, repeatedly over and over and over again, very much a part of the Sumerian culture. And that's where you would start in our Dayton Museum. You would see the inception of the plant and why it is so revered in the Middle East and in areas where it has grown for thousands of years. I think dates are very underrated, very underrated. And it's extremely nutritious. There are so many vitamins and minerals that are included in, in a date. And of course it may vary with the, the variety of dates, but it's very high in antioxidants and vitamins, iron, lots of iron, potassium, B-complex vitamins, vitamin K, calcium, magnesium, copper, very high in fiber, so great for digestion, but it's easily digested. And it's a natural sugar. It's not like a refined sugar. So you can eat quite a few dates without worrying. Even diabetics can eat them, but in moderation, of course, because it's totally different from any other sugar that you would get in refined sweets. It really replenishes your energy almost instantaneously. I carry a small bag of the uh, dryer dates, the Daglet Noors, in my car. And when I'm in between places and I just, I can't get anywhere to get anything to eat, they're great to grab and chew. They are considered a complete food. And historically, they were used by armies in the Middle East. They would carry dates to sustain themselves. All they needed was water and dates and maybe some camel milk. Merchants that were on the Silk Road, they would carry the dates. And you could actually probably live off the dates for some period of time because they're easily kept. When they're dry, they don't ferment or rot. I believe that if you go back to 1924 and even into World War II, some of the commodities that people were trying to store, especially in Europe and after the war, you know, refrigeration was a, an electricity for that matter, was something that you conserved. And so to store dates, because you only have one harvest per year, you realistically would try to sell feverishly as much as you could during this first part of the year. But then in order for them to stop sugaring, to stop ripening, you would have to put them into some kind of a cooler. And that of course is very expensive, especially back then. And the space alone, just the technology of being able to have the kind of coolers that we have today, it simply wasn't there. So Mr. Shields, I, if I was to talk with him, I would almost venture to say it's my true belief that he developed the crystals as a way to preserve dates so as that people could enjoy them year round without them spoiling. Crystals are simply and purely a dried date. 
Now, our crystals are dates of a few varieties that we mix to get that awesome taste in our shake, but it's kind of like that hidden secret, our recipe, you know? Once you rehydrate the crystal, it literally becomes date paste again. We didn't come up with the paste because other people were doing that, but it's basically like, you know, grinding up ground beef or something else. You know, you, you have to take the pits out and then you, you can grind it in like a sausage grinder. <laughs> that's, that's like the way we started. Now we, now we have it done in a larger facility because we're grinding so much. But yeah, yeah, it kind of comes out like ground beef almost. <laughs> we have date paste, which is 100% just dates that have been, for all intents and purposes, ground up, so to speak, uh, into a paste form. And it makes it so much easier and quicker for us based on the volume of shakes that we might make in a day so or on a particular weekend. So it's just having that readily available and take a scoop of paste and actually put it into the soft serve. So when we say date paste, it's actually um, just picture a giant meat grinder and we grind up the dates with no additive and we'll turn it into paste. And it's pretty dense. The consistency is really dense. So, like, if you're trying at home, at home, that's what I would recommend. Um, maybe, maybe like a Cuisinart would work if, if you just had it in your own little kitchen and didn't have a, a grinder for sausage. Um, you could do, probably blend it up and then I would add some warm water just to like get the consistency right. We, we like the consistency to be about the same as uh, mashed potatoes. So you want to know how to make a date shake? We have a very simple recipe. Very, very easy. You have to start out with dates. You can get dried dates or you can get the nice moist dates. Deglet Nord are used quite a bit and they, they, they're drier, but of course all of them will moisten up with a little water. So generally what you're getting in your markets might be Deglet Nord's or Medjols. Personally, I think it's a waste to use that fine Medjol in a date shake because it's so good just eaten by itself. But if that's what you have, you can experiment with that. So it really doesn't matter. You know, some of them have a little different taste. We have barhees, which are little round golden things, and they have a, a really different flavor, but they're all kind of caramely, I think, or a little nutty. That's kind of, they won't be tart. They'll be more mellow. You deep hit them. And as I said, you have to put a little water with them, soften them up, and you need about, oh, I'd say a good blender full, and then you blend them up and you get what we call a paste, a very dense paste. So then you're ready. Okay, you need two cups cold milk, three-fourths of a cup of date paste, four scoops of ice cream, and blend it like mad. And then if you want a little looser date shake, you put a little crushed ice, and that's your date shake. We give the recipe out to people along with all the ingredients minus the ice cream for them to take home and try it themselves. And so we've had a lot of people that have had coffee and made a coffee date shake. Uh, we've had people mix it with a little bit of coconut. We've had people, all sorts of things, peanut butter, you name it. There's been a lot of people that have experimented with it. But I mean, I've got a lot of fond memories of, of date shakes. And, and like I said, I loved them. Everybody in the family drank them and 
I used to get home from school, and if I wanted a, a nice little treat, uh, I'd pour a glass of milk and put a couple spoonful of date uh, butter in it and make myself a date shake. We're just pillars watching over shields. That's our job. We're keepers of the shield. And so that is something Mr. Shields developed, and that is something that, uh, you know, like anything else, we, we try to pay homage to everything that he did. So that was a no-brainer. For sure, we will always keep the date shake. And I love the word finest. It's just, to me, it's just a beautiful word. I'll be curious to see what happens with the next generation, though, because it does definitely seem kind of tied in with an era of nostalgia, maybe, like Route 66 and drive throughs and things like that. I, I think it kind of has its own little place in that history of food. And I don't know what the younger generation thinks about that. So, I mean, you are tasting history. You're tasting a date shake has a story. A date shake has a soul. A date shake is a, a delight and delicious. And I hope this fairy tale intrigues other people and encourages people to put dates into your everyday diet. You know, it, it's, it's such a healthy, healthy thing. And it's great for kids. You know, once they get past... Oh, it doesn't look so pretty. You know, it's not like a peach. <laughs> but uh, I guarantee that if you give them a date shake, they'll be sold. And that is the local fairy tale of the date shake. Information about the Date Shake and the Date Shake Tale Tellers can be found at Local Fairy, F-A-R-E-Y, Tales, T-A-L-E-S dot com. And be sure to follow Local Fairy Tales Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to share your own tales about the Date Shake or other local fair. And if you don't know much about your local fair, ask there are tale tellers everywhere. Generously filled cups of gratitude to Maureen Boren, Travis Brown, Bob Herrick, Charles Phoenix, Heather Raman, and Russell Schubert for sharing their time and date shake knowledge. Concept Production and editing by me, Nora Vetter. Music by Anisha Thomas. And artwork by Jonathan Reich. More local fairy tales are coming soon, so be sure to subscribe on your favorite place to listen to podcasts. <laughs>